The market dynamics, strategy, and future outlook of console gaming, Sony versus Microsoft versus Nintendo. Microsoft is all in on Game Pass. Is this the last generation of Xbox? Future growth opportunities and more. Welcome to Game Makers. I'm Joseph Kim. Episode two and part two of Pixels and Profits coming at you right now. Today's episode is sponsored by Data.ai to access estimates for rankings, downloads, revenue, usage, or engagement for millions of apps on the App Store and Google Play. Sign up for Data.ai. Maybe like we could start with a discussion in terms of what do you guys think about uh, my last comment about the, the impact of, uh, of what we're really seeing as a vibrant PC gaming market, right? And so um, I, I think that Sony has shown relatively flat growth and a number of uh, data research firms are showing relatively flat growth for console. Uh, what, how do you guys think that the PC gaming market impacts the console market, if, if at all, in the future? I think PC is interesting. And I think that having cross-platform games makes it more interesting. Like, for example, Fortnite, even when Fortnite was on iOS, a lot of the spending was still on PC and console. And then people would play and consume those V-Bucks on mobile when they were gone, right? Um, I'm kind of cynically cautious that all of this focus on PC is a COVID, uh, you know, just it's a, it's a COVID thing mm -hmm. and it's not sustainable. You know, and it's one thing when we all work from home and you, you build this super awesome computer for work and play. But eventually, as things normalize, people are going back to the office. You're not home as much. There's less time to play and sit down, particularly the types of genres that historically have dominated PC, MMOs, MMORPGs, things like that, right? We've seen more shooters, battle royales, things like that, you know, come up on, on PC. Call of Duty, great example. Never was on PC. All of a sudden, it's, it's a huge PC game, right? So I think there are genre shifts that lend itself to being more sustainable. But I also am cautious around the engagement not being sustainable in a post-COVID world. That's interesting. I, I think like Joe, to your point, like the, the, the console market isn't necessarily like robustly growing. Like it's a call it 17 to $20 billion unit or dollar uh, a year business. Uh, but it's also a, like a duopoly, right? Let's set Nintendo aside for the second. So can two companies continue to exist in perpetuity inside a two-person duopoly? And I think the answer is yes, particularly when one is so entrenched in the notion that they're going to continue to make the best single-player games on the planet and keep them on their system in perpetuity. I think the interesting thing that to think about is like, Sony is very vocal about increasing their mix of investment towards uh more persistent kind of like shooter games and live operations. And in that scenario, if there's a lag of say two to three years for those games are coming to market and they are high quality, I think gamers are going to thumb their nose the notion that they can only play those on PlayStation. And I think they're going to have to, to think about this more comprehensively as like the bigger calculus thing at play, right? So uh, Marathon is going to be an interesting test of that. Um, but if they're going to seed market share or a revenue from a hardware basis, they have to know that there's going to be a bunch of revenue coming in from uh, software and losing economics on the distribution is not an easy calculus problem to solve. Um, so I think that's, that's certainly like worth keeping an eye on. I don't think consoles is going away. I don't think it's secretly a negative view on that at all. Um, but it's, it's going to keep changing 
because again, like Fortnite changed everything in 2017. Like it's no longer acceptable to just have great games that are multiplayer on a single platform. I would also just point out, you know, on a price performance basis, console is way better than a, a high-end gaming PC, right? The, the, the hardware specs of a console at $500, whatever they cost, is more like a two, $3,000 gaming PC with the SSDs and the GPU built in, right? So that's also a consideration that, you know, if, if you care about price performance and you care about high fidelity, that's a more affordable option. Yeah, I would say that I I actually think Microsoft's, it, you know, in big danger here on, on the for, for console because, you know, just, and, and I don't want to uh, generalize too much from my own anecdotal experience, but you know, when I watch my kids play and I've got a, you know, 13 year old, 11 year old son, um, it does seem like the, the, the new way that, that kids are playing is in groups socially on PC, on discord, talking together in groups of friends. And it's not like how the old school people would like, you know, if you're playing on, on an Xbox by yourself or, you know, or, or even if you're, you're, you've got two or three people playing an RPG, um, on a console that I think the play patterns are shifting now and without exclusive content to lock you in like Nintendo has. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like Microsoft probably, you know, I, I, I like the, I, I like the promise of game pass, but by not making things exclusive and locking content down, you know, what, what there's what possible reason do you have to own an Xbox today? I, I just don't see it. I, I think, you know, my kids and their friends are all telling each other, get a PC, get on Discord, play Valorant with me, right? Um, and so I, I really just think that this may this generation may be uh, a marking essentially like a big shift for, for Microsoft and for, for Xbox in the future. The bigger, higher level question for Xbox, and we can go there now, is do they care, right? Do they... Yeah. Like, do they care about at this point competing head to head on just hardware with with Sony? Like, I, I, you know, I think if you ask Satya Nadella, he doesn't want to be selling hardware. He wants to be putting these things inside of an Azure server somewhere, and it's all run out of the cloud. It's cloud gaming, and you subscribe to Game Pass to access the content. Now, the content needs to be there to drive subscriptions, whether that's third party or first party. I, this is why I think Starfield is a huge test for them. If Starfield the hype is not quite cyberpunk, but it's it's definitely up there for, for Starfield. If this game does live up to expectations or comes close and is what we think it will be, that will drive a lot of interest in Game Pass. But I think especially on PC, where it definitely lags versus console. And if it if it does get 20, 30 million subscribers on PC because of games like Starfield, why is Microsoft selling loss-making boxes, right? That's that's the question that Satya will ask Phil Spencer. And I think longer term, like the Series X and S could be the last boxes and console that Microsoft ever makes. Right. So then to some degree, you're saying Microsoft's gaming strategy is Game Pass or bust. Is that? I I, I think it is. I, I, I think that, and again, this is just quoting Satya. He wants to build consumer subscription services. I don't think he wants to be in the licensed software, packaged software, selling $60, $70 games, even with an MTX component. I think he wants to be in the subscription business. He wants that recurring revenue in every single thing they do. And I think Game Pass is the only way for them to do that. I think they're all in on Game Pass. So here's a ringer question for you. 
if that's true and you're spending $70 billion for, let's call it four of the top 10 IPs on the market, do you risk cutting that business run rate to like 2 billion to induce subscriptions? Yeah, it, so that, that that's where it gets... I, I, I'm, Activision makes sense from the old strategy, not from the new strategy, right? I mean, as, if you take Call of Duty out, I think it makes sense for the new strategy, right? Diablo, like all of the Blizzard stuff that's not World of Warcraft, Diablo, Overwatch, et cetera, makes sense from a subscription perspective. I think the only one that doesn't make sense is Activision is Call of Duty because two thirds of the user base is on PlayStation. Yeah, that would be a, a massive move if that were to happen. And, and f further, like if they're already making these moves with Bethesda and locking down content, I think that it's impossible to pull those kind of titles from Sony, but like what a mess that would make in the gaming ecosystem if they just well, all of a sudden you couldn't play. This goes back to what I was saying. Like, I think, I think Phil Spencer and Satya, if, if Sony walked up to them and said, okay, fine, here's a term sheet for game pass on, on PlayStation, they would sign it like sight unseen. Like the, and they would stop making boxes immediately. Cause as soon as they let them put game pass on Sony, you know, whatever the economics are, like they'll figure that out. All the games are there and that that's it. And this this is this is why the argument, the antitrust argument that they would pull the games. I know certain titles, Starfield is now gonna be a timed console exclusive. Honestly, it doesn't even make sense to me because it's an MMO. Like you need people in the world. Like that strategic way just doesn't make sense. And I actually think they're shooting themselves in the foot by doing that, especially because They've kind of already lost this console war. Phil Spencer has this this generation. Phil Spencer has said so. So I don't know. It, it'll come to Sony eventually. It'll be bigger. But I think that's a game that's built for PC anyways. Like if you look at Elder Scrolls Five, right? I mean, most of the most of the high engaged users are on PC anyways. So maybe we can now talk about some of the trends that have been impacting the console business. I mean, I think one obvious one is like a shift from physical to digital distribution, which has been underway for a while. But now I think it's it's really starting to accelerate. I, you know, just again, I don't want to uh, get too anecdotal here with uh, singular data points. But, you know, at least my kids, when I, I, I told them I'd get them Tears of the Kingdom, and uh, they they got mad when I when I was gonna go to GameStop and buy them, you know, a physical copy. They're like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? No, 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 get the digital. We're, we're gonna get the digital version. We don't want a disc. Um, but in terms of like other longer term trends, I think one of the one of the interesting things to note from the um, the, uh, the the Sony pre presentation was like this shift that we're seeing from live services to. Um, in, in terms of the mix, like I think that um, that presentation stated that in fiscal 2019, they had 12% live service to 88% traditional games. And Sony expects that to kind of flip in 2025 to uh, 40-60. And I believe it's 60 in favor of live service, right? So, so we've got live service happening. And we also have the notion of the free-to-play business model. And so I wanted to open up to you guys in terms of you know, uh, we have seen that some of these trends can happen slowly or very quickly. Um, what happens if uh, if the industry does shift on console more towards live service operated games or towards more of a free to play business model? I think it already has to some degree. I mean, if you look at take if you take out the first party games for a second, you look at the biggest third third party games: Fortnite, Call of Duty, um, FIFA they all have massive live services built into them. In many cases, they're free to play. 
uh, Fortnite is free to play. Call of Duty Warzone is free to play, right? And those are huge MTX live services. EA makes more revenue per user from Ultimate Team than from the actual $70 you spend on the game up front now. And that's been, that's not news. That's been the case for a long time now. But, um, you know, so, I mean, I, I think for the console makers themselves, and this was kind of a point Brian made before, right? That this, it's kind of like a rock and a hard place discussion. And I abuse that term a lot. I know I used it last week a lot, but it's, it's, um, live services games are based on Mal, right? You want the maximum audience you can get, but you're gating it behind a hardware platform. So you're not maximizing your audience. Like the reason that call of duty went up, a t- up a tier in 2020 was yes, COVID, but also yes, PC and Warzone, right? I mean, that was massive for them. And that ma- that brought in so many gamers who then ended up, ended up actually buying the, the, the full price game on top of that. And it's been, you know, I think they continue to hit new records for sales for the call of duty franchise in the wake of really going hard on PC. So Fortnite, right? I mean, I don't think Fortnite is what it is if that was gated just on console, right? And so it's, and even Roblox, right? Roblox is only on Xbox. It's not on PlayStation yet, but still it's not gated behind a single platform. So I think that's, that strategy is at odds with who Sony is. And maybe Bungie fixes that. And maybe the people at Bungie, you know, have a lot of say in these have to be cross-platform, but that's just not Sony's DNA. I think it's it's uh, instructive to look at Destiny uh, again because like this is a game that was architected to be a live service, but it was a box sale, and then it eventually went you know free to play at one point in time, um, and like the the way that they wanted to monetize was like every way. Uh, you had to buy cosmetics in the game. You had to buy uh, a new pass every three months for the new raids and new content, and. I think there's there's almost like this point in time where gamers just kind of throw their hands up and say like, look, uh, I made a commitment to this game, or and this could be any any number of games. Um, you should be giving me content at a certain point in time and, and find which way you want to monetize and just kind of stick with it. Otherwise, you know, you, you'll find something else. It's a very competitive market. Um, Sony is increasing their investment in these types of games, but I would also just say that that's that's hugely suspect to just general hit rates in the industry, right? Like. 10 to 20% of the products you green light at some point in time are going to be really successful for them. Um, a bunch are going to die and a bunch are going to be flops. Uh, and without that experience and DNA and producing those live service kind of games, like it's going to be kind of tricky. And in the meantime, you have all these amazing studios, some of the best studios in the world making games like God of War or like uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, things like that, that easily do like 20 plus million units on um, an ecosystem that has 80 million to 100 million users. What does that look like? Like, do you push those teams to make a live service game in a game that really shouldn't be there in the first place? And so, you know, it's going to be weird to see how these games mature. And that's especially acute at a company like Ubisoft, right? So you have like Assassin's Creed games that print 20 million units every year, and you can do that maybe twice a year sometimes. But how do you make that some persistent world with microtransactions and everything else? And, you know, they tried to do that with, uh, with division and things like that. So it's, it's going to be a maturing phase. Companies realize you make a lot more money with live services games for all the reasons Matt mentioned. You have a lot more users. You have uh, the ability to r- run live events and services and things like that. But it's not the answer or the key to every franchise. And you don't want to alienate the users that you have because, like, it's free money if you come back to them every year and ask them for a new, a new game. Uh, otherwise, it's just it's just going to be vapor. Yeah, I think for me, the the biggest risk to console I see is if there is a 
a much stronger concentration of live services games than uh, I think what 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 I've seen is just a higher player attention and concentration to specific titles, right? So like to the to the extent that you have companies like Riot with League of Legends or Valorant that just takes up so much player attention, I think it will start to crowd out other titles. Now, I, I do think you're still going to have great single-player experiences that are more consumable in nature, your, your God of War, your Spider-Man, games like that, that people are going to still play. But I do think it will be a little bit dilutive because... You know, I mean, I, I mentioned I bought Tears of the Kingdom for my kids. They they played it for like a couple hours, and uh, they're they're playing Valorant. <laughs> they're, they're too busy to play that game because, and they played the shit out of Breath of the Wild, which is you know before be, before discovering Valorant. But um, yeah, the, the 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 danger I think. Well, I don't know if it's a danger or an opportunity or just what's going to happen. Is I I do feel like players are going to start playing fewer games and if we have these bigger hits like league of legends valorant um you know uh these type of games or fortnite that take up so much player time it'll potentially crowd out a bunch of other titles and i, I mean we talked i talked about it last week a little bit but the other kind of eight thousand pound gorilla in the room is what are the chinese companies doing right because right. both tencent and netties have said they want to make console games for the west and if they make free-to-play mmorpgs with all of these live services expertise that they have on mobile and PC, like that's it, it's over. Like Sony strategy is done at that point, right? Because right. they have armies of developers that are trained in this stuff way more and way cheaper than what anyone else has. And if they're successful, Sony strategy to sell a $70 live services game with season pass DLC and cosmetics is dead. Yeah. Because these guys can just treadmill content and just do a cosmetics live service that no one else can do. And so like I, 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 that's still a few years out. And so are some of these, you know, things in progress at Sony and others. But if that works, like just look out, like that's, that's terrifying. Right. But to your point, Matthew, like, you know, Hoyoverse spent a hundred million in the development of Genshin Impact, even with an existing en engine, Honkai 3, Impact 3. And they're spending 200 million a year uh, in, you know, li live ops. I mean, yeah, I, I do think there is some risk there. Uh, but because is Sony going to put $300 million a year behind Destiny 3, which I'm assuming is in development at this point, right? Like, I don't know. Like, that's that's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, maybe the next question I can ask is mobile. So Phil Spencer has come out and said that mobile is really important for Microsoft and I think that you know he's made that the basis of um, part of the acquisition um, motivation behind uh, the, you know Activision Blizzard because of King and Sony in their presentation had mentioned that they want to expand meaningfully into uh, mobile. They've talked about mobile publishing. They've talked about um, developing internal studio capabilities. But realistically, how much of, of this do you think is actually real? How how serious do you think? Phil Spencer is, or is that just an excuse for them to, you know, to close this um, Activision Blizzard acquisition? Long story short, like how important is mobile to a console maker? What do you guys think? I think not at all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think like this dream of console, PC, IP teleporting to mobile has like a really bad track record. And I think there's a lot of reasons behind that. It's probably another podcast entirely, but like tech is 
getting to a place now where like triple A games can be played on mobile in a variety of ways. And I think that folks that want to engage this way are finding their path to doing so. And like, if you think about the the games that monetize really well on mobile, it's like, again, it goes back to like design iteration and like differentiated ideas and mechanics and things like that. And it's not a space where like IP really matters. Uh, we've seen a bunch of instances of companies that uh, with IP that didn't exist, uh, they got purchased for billions of dollars or like Supercell didn't need any kind of IP to create like a new Clash game or whatever. Um, and I, I don't see that changing. Like the IP that these guys have a hold of is special for a reason. And I think like we've discussed this with the consulars, right? If you stick to a plan and you find your plan and you find your niche, like don't go out of it too much. Like Microsoft has no idea what UA is and Sony has no idea what, like, how to publish a mobile game and stuff. And, and it just sounds like a recipe for shareholder destruction. The, the only caveat is if you believe that Activision can be successful in making their own Call of Duty mobile, Warzone mobile, whatever they're doing internally, right? Call of Duty mobile today is a Tencent game, co-developed with Activision, but most of the work is done by Tencent, right? Diablo Immortal is a NetEase game. If you actually look, it's basically just a reskin of an existing MMORPG they had in China with Diablo IP. Um, it goes back to what I said. These Chinese companies can just treadmill content. And that's why they can make these free-to-play, massive-scale, AAA quality games. Do we think that Activision can do that? I mean, they've done it on console, so maybe, but do they know how to do that on mobile? That's a question. If, if the answer is yes, then, then you can argue that, yes, the know-how and the expertise can carry over to other IP and other studios within the Xbox ecosystem, but I don't think the answer is yes. I don't... I don't I know that there's some people that, that we know that are current or ex developers on the mobile side at Activision Blizzard, and you know they're excited about what's happening. But I, I'm I'm skeptical until I see it in in the wild. It's one thing to develop cool games; it's an entire other thing to manage a mobile live service to compete with what Tencent can do. Case in point, J.K. Sorry to to dump on your uh, your one of your investors, but Krafton right in Korea they decided they were going to make their own PUBG mobile game to try to take back economics from the license to Tencent. And they just got dumped on. Tencent just came out and dropped it on the table. Tons of content, tons of UA spend right when that game came out. And that went nowhere. And do you think they're going to lie down and just take it when Activision decides to release Warzone Mobile? Absolutely not. Although I think I'm hearing that Warzone Mobile is really good. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But yeah, I overall, I definitely agree with you. Um, and to your point, Brian, yeah, I, I personally don't think that mobile is as critical to a console maker as the console makers are currently suggesting. I think they see a lot of growth in mobile. And I think uh, the console makers want to tell a growth story because as we're seeing, all the projections on console is relatively flat. So I, I can see the the financial motivations or the the, the profit side of our of, of our podcast that motivation to 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 um, suggest that they have a mobile strategy and that they're move, moving meaningfully in that direction. But yeah, in terms of the synergies, I I don't know. It's it's a little little bit weak. Maybe Sony has a better story there. If it, you know, we, we can talk about you know, how they're creating a narrative around transmedia. And so from that perspective, uh, it kind of makes sense. But um, otherwise, I would agree with you guys. I, I do I think there's a, a, a certain... 
sorry, I would just say for Xbox, I don't think it has anything to do with telling story to investors because it doesn't affect the sure. stock. It was, it was purely an antitrust thing. They, okay. they were just trying to tell antitrust regulators for Activision, hey, we need them. And right. we don't just compete in the X billion dollar console market. We compete in the 100 X billion dollar gaming market, including right, right, mobile. Right. <laughs> and we can't compete in mobile without Activision. They, that was purely yeah. a politics story. It has nothing to do with yeah, the stock price. I was just say like to, success in mobile has a, a few like indicative factors, just like the console wars had, right? And it comes down to like timing and differentiation and novel mechanics. I think that would be my top three if I had to pick. And if you put like a special IP on top of that, that's just like icing on the cake. And a really good example of this would be like Pokemon Go. Um, I do think there's opportunities for console uh, and, and PCIP to like transition to mobile if those three things are present. But I would say the hit rate of a mobile game with those three qualities and a special IP is way lower than them just sticking to what they know how to, you know, they know what they're doing. Right. I mean, JK, you spend more time in this space, but like, I don't see Xbox making a Halo branded Candy Crush match three game, right? Like, they want to make Halo mobile, right? But like, yeah. how big is the mobile shooter market? Because we're not talking about these guys going after the entire mobile market. They're not making social casino games. They're not making match three games. They're not going into hyper casual. They want to just take what they're doing and make it cross-platform or console plus mobile where they keep all the economics. Okay. And I, I thought I could, um, maybe we could end with two last questions. Um, and maybe the next question would be just a general question about growth. So if you go through the Sony presentation, there, there's a lot of things that they talk about, right? Whether it's um, Project Q with handheld, which we've already discussed a bit. Um, you know, they seem to be fairly bullish with VR, although um, from my perspective, it does still seem limited. Um, there are some discussion about going cross-platform with first-party titles, you know, the subscription business, IP ex expansion, things like that. Of those potential areas for growth, what what are your what's your outlook for growth in any of those areas? Is there anything you guys are excited about, or should we just believe that that kind of flattish growth that, that we're seeing from all the research firms and from the the console makers themselves is what we should expect from console? I think of those things that you mentioned, the most impactful or the most potentially impactful would be. Uh, subscriptions and then proliferation of live services if they can apply the same Sony discipline and quality uh, that like Microsoft is lacking. Um, those would be my picks. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. If, 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 if Sony can make a successful live services game without killing its moat, so if they can somehow figure out all the things we said they probably can't figure out about maximizing now, then that would be the most impactful, absolutely. Because, you know, MTX is is a huge portion of the revenue. You can go into the supplement and you can see like the add-on content. But most of that is like them clipping coupons on Fortnite, right? They get 30% of every dollar spent on PS4 and 5 by kids playing Fortnite and Call of Duty, right? That in FIFA, that's not first-party add-on content. It's probably effectively zero for all intents and purposes right now. And so that that that's... That would be a massive thing, both for the top and the bottom line of the company. And the same goes for Xbox. Um, I'm just, I'll be skeptical that they can do it until they do it. Right. Subscriptions is really found money. Like they have mm -hmm. 
they're basically charging now for things that they gave away for the first three generations, right? And that's that's going to continue to grow. Yeah, for me, I think of all the stuff mentioned in terms of potential growth areas, I, I am a little bit negative in terms of whether it's handheld or VR or mobile and things like that. But um, one of the things we see is that Sony is betting big on IP, right? And so one of the things that was mentioned in the presentation is kind of shifting from you know, from in, in fiscal 19, I think it was 20% of new, um, of, of, of their game investments went to new IP and now it's going to go to 50% in fiscal 25, uh, estimated. And so, um, the ability for the value of IP from gaming, I think gaming to some degree are the new comic books, right? And so similar to how, you know, we're, we're seeing the, the Witcher TV show and uh, kind of like the Last of Us TV show. I think that's just going to continue to increase into movies, television and things of that nature. And so like the IP expansion, transmedia, I can see that becoming pretty big. And so to the extent that you've got like the Marvel Cinematic Universe having like a Sony gaming universe, I think makes sense. And I, I, I think of the things mentioned for growth, for me, that's the one area that I would probably look out for. The, fl the flip side of that argument is that the hit rate on new IP is a decimal point over from existing established IP, right? Like a new single player RPG game that takes place in, you know, the Nordics and his Vikings has probably a 5% chance of being successful, but if it's God of War, it's 50%, right? Like <laughs> or whatever the odds are, right? You know, but the decimal place is one point over. Like, I don't think that's like an exaggeration. And so you're going to spend all this money on much lower hit rate titles. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't necessarily think that that's a good thing. I, I would actually rather them say, we're going to spend 90% of our money on known IP and we're just going to double down on it and make it even and make it twice as big. Cause that's tended to be a more successful strategy for content houses. And it's not just games. That's pretty much every media company, right? Look at Disney, look at NBCU. They, when they doubled HBO and they doubled down on existing IP, it tends to be way more successful and way more profitable than investing in new IP. Okay. And final question, what's your outlook guys for the console wars? Like who do you think wins here? What, do you have any specific predictions for Sony, Nintendo, Microsoft? What do you guys think? I think, uh, you know, Sony's on a really good cadence right now. They, um, if you look at like a map over map of PS4 generation over PS5, uh, PS5 has dragged a little bit because of component shortages and, and shipping difficulties throughout the pandemic. Uh, but they expect that to surpass that this year. I think this generation looks a lot like the last generation, frankly. I think Sony's going to outstrip Microsoft by uh, at least 2x. Um, and I think the, the, the next generation is going to be interesting to watch whenever we see what uh, Nintendo has in store. But um, like I think, like you said, I just don't see uh, how any rational human being looks at those two boxes and picks the Xbox these days, uh, despite like the notion that there's like hard strings involved, right? Like I, I know like a, a slew of dads and moms that buy an Xbox because that's what they had or like, uh, um, but that doesn't, that doesn't last forever. That's not a strategy. I, I think Sony continues to uh, eat their cake. I would point out that up till now, the gap has narrowed. Like it was two and a half ish to one. It's like one and a half ish to one, but that was also the case in the eighth gen cycle before Sony software just blew them away. And I do think we're on track for that. And I think the, the tail on Xbox will be a lot shorter than the tail on the PS5, just given the outlook for software, unless 
the quality of what comes out of Xbox Studios turns around miraculously, starting with Starfield. Um, but I also think, okay, I'll make some grandiose statement. The console wars are dead. Long live the console wars. Um, like I said, Microsoft, I don't think cares about selling boxes anymore. And if they want, I think in an ideal world, Game Pass is so successful, it's ubiquitous. They don't care about the boxes. They're playing a different game. Their strategy is much different. Sony strategy is keep doing what worked. We make amazing content. You have to buy our box to play our amazing content. And at some point in the future, that may not be a viable strategy that I just, is this the last console generation? I remember being at E3 in like 2018 and there was a certain CEO from a French gaming company who was telling me that cloud gaming, this is the last generation of consoles. And I almost puked and I almost like spit up on the street because I was laughing so hard. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that as, as, as we look ahead, there is technology coming about that eventually means that cloud gaming can comparably rival a console experience. And at that point, what is Sony's strategy? Do they continue to sell boxes to sell their content? But now Microsoft is saying the gating price to our content is not a $500 box. It's now a $15 a month subscription, right? Like at what point, and we saw this with like film and DVDs when Netflix shift to streaming, right? I don't know when we get there, when it's comparative on a technology and quality basis. I think every time we try to say it's this generation, it's not. But at some point, you can theoretically envisage a point where the box is irrelevant. And at that point, what is Sony's strategy? Because everything they're doing, everything they laid out for the next couple of years is how the world is today. And what Phil Spencer is at least talking about is where the world is tomorrow. Okay. I I do think I agree with you in the, in the sense that maybe the console wars are dead. I do think like, you know, in my opinion, Sony's one. They're going to, they're just going to, you know, be the market leader for consoles, but it's going to be more of a two-way race to your point, Matthew. Like, yeah, I just don't think Microsoft cares and maybe, maybe they don't even care about the Xbox in the future. Nintendo's safe because people are going to play, you know, people are going to want to play Pokemon forever. <laughs> so wherever they put that, you know, if they put it on a handheld, people are going to buy a handheld. If they put that on whatever, that, that's where people are going to go to play Pokemon. Although I think if they just sold Pokemon Red on the Apple App Store, like they would make a billion dollars. So, yeah. I don't know if people all... remember, but there were like fake Pokemon games that didn't do anything that just like broke records <laughs> um, on, on mobile, on the uh, iOS App Store. But I do think that I, I'm, I'm more, I am really worried about Microsoft. I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm a Microsoft fan. I, I hope they pull things out, but I'm just, I just think that Game Pass is such a, dangerous strategy and if i'm being honest with you like if you ask me would i rather have game pass and all of the content behind it or riot you know just league of legends and valorant i I'd, I'd say give me riot <laughs> so um i don't know i'm i uh, i am hoping that this is not the beginning of a decline for microsoft but that's kind of where it looks like the market is heading and yeah, I, I, at least this point in time, Sony's won, and uh, I expect to be buying Sony consoles for the foreseeable future. Same. I'm looking forward to getting to PS5 someday. So much stuff to play <laughs> that I haven't played yet. 
All right. Well, I think that's it. Um, we've gone a little bit long again, but uh, definitely always an interesting conversation. Matthew, you got a uh, last point. Any, any final point from you as well, Brian? One more final comment. Sony and Microsoft people out there, make your boxes smaller next time, please. <laughs> They're way too big. I know you're cramming in power. Just find a way to shrink the form factor. That's that's not just me. That's every gamer everywhere, especially when I was in my little 445 square square foot apartment in Hong Kong. Make your boxes smaller, please. Yeah. You know, like cooking, cooking your eggs on it. Uh, no parting comments from me. I think that was a good discussion. Thanks, guys. Awesome. All right. And so for our audience, we will catch you next time. Thanks, guys. Hey, guys, I'm back. Well, there you have it. The console wars are take. Both myself, Joseph Kim, Matthew Contraman, Brian Peganoff. And you got to let us know, did you like this episode or not? You made it to the end. If you like this content, if you want to see more, please do like, subscribe, comment, let us know. If we don't know, if we don't get that feedback, we may just stop doing these episodes. But if you do like it, please do let us know. And I will catch you next time.